gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, the review segment for episode 57 for Friday, February 6, 2015, the year of our time, Lord Dr. Emmett Brown. I don't know if we're doing that on the review episodes or not. I just, you did it, though. So it's, I, I guess you are doing it on the I'm review episodes. I'm doing it episodes. because uh, it's written Consistency. down. Consistency. I will say literally whatever you put in front of me. Uh, just like Ron Burgundy. You are Ron Burgundy, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, today we're reviewing Jupiter Ascending, which I feel like in some ways is like the first big event movie of the year, even though it's not really going to be an event. And it's Depending be... on your thoughts of the Duke of Burgundy. Wait, what about Mord- for Mordecai? Me Mordecai. Did, wait, am I only, I'm the only one of us who saw Mordecai, right? Yeah, wait. Can we quickly deviate from what we we're about to talk about <laughs> and hear what you thought about Mord- Mordecai? Oh, it's, it's terrible. Is it's it? It's oh. terrible. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Jupiter Ascending. We're not here to talk about Mordecai. Come no. on. Uh, Jupiter Ascending is directed by the Wachowskis. There's actually, at the end of the movie, this giant title that comes up that just says, by the Wachowskis, which I really enjoyed because, you know, they're like a single name entity at this point. Um, it stars Channing Tatum and Mila Kunis. Uh, it's in some, it's, I don't know. I'm going to try to explain the plot in the simplest way possible. <laughs> Uh, it's set in the present in which a, a Mila Kunis plays a Russian immigrant who cleans toilets for a living, cleans houses for a living, who uh, finds out that she is a genetic clone of the Queen of the Universe and must be destroyed by this Queen of the Universe's children who think that they own the deed to Earth uh, out in space. They're basically planets are treated like stocks on the stock exchange and this rich family owns a bunch of different planets and Earth is basically dispensable and is used to uh, farm bodies? It's the Matrix. Yeah, they it's turn bodies the into <laughs> they turn bodies into the fountain of youth. Basically, yeah, they yes. ground the, up the only, people. The, the biggest commodity is time, and uh, they use they grind up bodies so that they can have more time, which actually is kind of what kind of reminiscent of a scene in Cloud Atlas, which was the Wachowski's last movie. Uh, so anyway, she is trying to. Uh, so these various children, uh, the main one is played by Eddie Redmayne, are trying to get her or kill her, and she is rescued by Channing Tatum, who is, oh God, Kane. Wise. Kane Wise. Wise. He's part wolf, part man. I would argue that it's not any stupider than some of the names that have been revealed for Star Wars Episode 7. Don't say them. Stupid name. I won't say what they are, but (laughs) they were pretty stupid. Um, But pretty stupid all the same. And he is a human wolf hybrid with elfish ears who rescues Mila Kunis. He has uh, these shoes that were kind of like gravity roller skates and he skates around in all these action scenes. And uh, It is all directly inspired, I, I would imagine, I would have to imagine, from a old video game called Jet Set Radio. Uh, no, are, come it, it, on. No, that is, is all, a bit his, of a stretch. His shoes and the way he uses them and spins around. I mean, it is There are lots of references for gravity would, shoes. That's bullet. The Wachowskis could look me in the eye and tell me that wasn't true and I would not believe them. Wow. David's Him, though. Jet Set Radio is a fun game. Not enough tagging in this movie. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it, the, the plot gets varyingly more complicated from there, but basically it's, uh, Mila Kunis is special, Channing Tatum has to keep rescuing her, she continue, continuously finds herself in peril with absolutely no way to defend herself, which we can talk about later. Uh, and I, there's, so, like, I disagree there's, so much. But. Like, lizard people who are the lackeys of Eddie Redmayne, <laughs> and Eddie Redmayne is basically doing Steve Curl's voice and Foxcatcher the whole time. Um, I'm like, there are parts of this movie that I describe and they sound like 
kind of the bonkers movie that I enjoyed for a long time. And then there are parts of it that sound like the really frustrating, nonsensical, like narratively inert movie that drove me crazy in the end. And I'm interested. I want to hear from Patches first because so I saw the movie on Tuesday. Patches and a bunch of other people saw it on Wednesday. And the different critical consensus walking out of those two screenings was so different. It was almost like your screening was resp- was the backlash to the backlash and therefore liked it more. And I'm curious about the vibe <laughs> in that room and like what made you come out of this movie, which I think even you would say is pretty jumbled and say that it was yeah. a success. Well, first off, I resent being called the backlash to the backlash because... Well, I'm, I'm more... I mean, I'm just talking about the vibe that was coming out of your screening. I think your your feelings and critical con- critical thoughts are your own. Yeah, I mean, I guess expectations were low because David saw this at Sundance and immediately texted. And if David doesn't mind, I will read that text out David loud. David didn't text me. God damn it, David. Well, we wait, were going to the same wait, place. I don't, I don't remember my text, so your, your I'm not text sure was, if I mind. Your, your but... text is kosher. It just said patches. Patches. <laughs> it's John Carter times Waterworld in space. We are all not ready. <laughs> Uh, that sounds about right. It's not far off from the truth, to be quite honest. Um, so I I've guess my Waterworld, expect- so I want to know oh. in what way it's like Waterworld. I, I meant Waterworld more as a, a debacle, oh. less than anything uh, content related. <laughs> um, I so I guess my expectations were low, uh, but there are just certain movies. I mean, this is the reason that I enjoyed Green Lantern on some level. Uh, weirdness plays a factor in my enjoyment of this. Do I think... I, I don't think the plot is complex as you're making it out to be. It's pretty straightforward. They're just hmm. trying to escape people because everyone wants to kill M- Mila Kunis or not really kill her, either marry her or convince her to trade her in the deed. Kill her in one case. All of these things. I mean, it's very straightforward and it's mm-hmm. basically the Matrix again. So if you've seen the Matrix... You understand how this plot works. She, no one oh, gets forcibly married in the Matrix. I don't but the that. simpleness of the plot only underscores how jumbled the telling is. I mean, it, there's no reason why this movie should feel as completely nonsensical and labyrinthine. Well, that's, what, that's why I would disagree. It, I just, it didn't feel nonsensical to me. It felt outlandish because every beat of it has some strange sci-fi explanation everything tries to be steeped in logic and i i'm these are genetically engineered to recognize royalty yes that is one of my favorite moments of the film because we've seen in the trailer that she can somehow control bees and it turns out yes bees are have a, have a genetic code inside of them that makes them follow any queen and of course she's the queen of earth basically queen, queen of the universe yeah um so yeah everything has an explanation but it, it just bolts along so quickly you can't really get caught up in plot holes or or inconsistencies the 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 the, the explanations in this movies in, are in basically well the explanations in this movie are basically like bumpers in a in a pinball game you really keep bumping off one and going forward to the next to the crazy set that they've designed for this or that. And uh, I mean, the visuals are so stunning and I really do think it's an accomplished film in terms of direction. David will contend with this because he came after me on Twitter for th- adoring what the Wachowskis do with this film. But I'll probably argue with you. It's, well, it's not quite bullet time, but seeing Channing Tatum, the stuff with the gravity boots and all the action they concoct. I mean, there's a scene in the film where I think it's the first time that Channing Tatum comes to Mila Kunis's rescue, of which there are many, I admit, uh, 
and he whisks her away and they're they're flying around Chicago and all these aliens and the aliens are gray aliens by the way the like traditional bug-eyed aliens uh all every sci-fi trope is worked into Jupiter ascending which also makes me cackle I just it's so absurd they pack so much into this it's like if Avatar cut an hour and a half out of its running time and still tried to explain everything uh and, and they're just like zipping around Chicago and this feat this this gravity boots trick that they do is pretty astounding I mean Channing Tatum must have been on some sort of like uh, contraption with his uh, roller skates that would send him around a real space because he looks so real and the Man. Chicago plates look so real and the matching of the two is pretty extraordinary. That so much. Oh, I though. loved I mean, it. I, I, no, I, I like that effect. It and I admit the movie looks completely like Super Mario Brothers done right, uh, you know, with lizards it, and and all that. But it didn't um, even it occur to me to be impressed with how they may or may not have you know pulled off that effect and how seamlessly it's woven into the Chicago of their film world and whatnot. Because I thought it looked so fucking cheesy and it was uh, uh, and it added so little to those incoherent action scenes and we get to that later. But yeah, I, I thought that was one of the worst uh, and most eye rolling effects in the film. I mean, for me, I, I, I get a real visceral pleasure out of all the crazy imagination going on in this movie. And I do understand that it's an appropriation of anime and comic books and video games. It's everything. And it's just like a dream. It really is like a fever dream. Um, and, and, and it's so archetypical. I, I was telling people out of the movie that I totally... Uh, will admit that the character there are basically no characters in this movie they are pawns but this is Bobby Fischer moving these pawns I mean I was excited by the game that they were playing with that, all that these has pieces. to be a line in your review I <laughs> probably will be now. I haven't read it yet but it probably will be so I mean I, I got so much I, I'd be interested to hear where this movie goes so wrong for you guys because I mean as someone who plays Dungeons and Dragons who and has admitted that on this podcast before it reminds me of just sitting in a room kind of riffing and storytelling and and playing with friends. It really feels like a game. It really just feels like having lots of fun and kind of weaving it together with stories we already knew. And to speak to very quickly the like agency of Mila Kunis's character, yes, yeah, she gets rescued a ton of times, mostly because she is the fish out of water in the biggest pool ever, right? She is like, she she could not possibly save herself in any circumstance because she is not, she is what the aliens refer to as like a terror, what is the word, Terran or Terra, Terrace? She is, she is from Earth and she is a petty uh, speck in the, the universe and she doesn't understand like the universe. darts backwards. No, that's what wall. I like about like, it. Nothing sticks, nothing. No, but what, what I wanted to say, Teflon. what I wanted to say was that you know, Milo Kunis can be rescued over and over again. But what this movie, this movie is still about something underneath all this garbage. Uh, and that's capitalism. And it's garbage. about like Quote, dreaming. Garbage. Yes, garbage. Garbage could be good. Uh, it, it's still about, you know, wanting, you know, she's a, she's a Russian immigrant who's cleaning toilets. And uh, in the beginning of the movie, she's like, I hate my job. I hate my life. I hate my life. And then she becomes queen of the universe. And it's still horrible. You know, it's not... That dreaming of what you can't have is not a is not necessarily a good thing. So this movie still has a spine, and what it comes down to is her political decisions. This movie does get a little episode one uh, in it, it, and it's very much trade taxi tax, tax uh, brackets and like doing paperwork, whatever. That is goofy and fun too, and that gives her agency. She's able to save the day by not signing paperwork, and that was that made me giggle. <laughs> well, you know, the paperwork scene is is. 
the most confounding and amusing scene in the film. Are you talking about the Brazil homage? I am. Okay, yeah. uh, I think he was talking about a later paperwork scene. I'm talking about all the paperwork scenes. Hey, by standing in line, she saves the day, right? She doesn't bow out. Good for her. I I really couldn't tell you because I could not have possibly given less of a fuck of what was happening in this movie by that point. I, I walked out of this movie, and I say this with love for Matt Patches and no love for this movie, that my, my first thought, probably while texting Matt afterwards, was that this is a movie that Matt Patches would like. I think you did say <laughs> that to me later. Well. And uh, uh, that should be damning to anyone who's been listening to this podcast long <laughs> enough. Um, and, and knows, you know, even Matt went out of his way to point out and remind you of his love for the Green Lantern. So, uh, it's true. I'm, I'm, I'm totally transparent. DNA with the Green Lantern, for sure. Uh, but I... You know, I really, um, really like the Wachowskis. I was really excited for this movie. Aside from the Matrix sequels, I I think that they make big-budget original sci-fi on a scale that nobody else really is, aside from James Cameron. And he's really only – I think he's done with what we would call original sci-fi at this point. It's just uh, riffing on Avatar. And uh, I was under the mistaken impression that Jupiter Ascending was going to be original sci-fi. And it's – from – I don't know what the target audience was here. I don't know what went wrong. I read a treatment after I had seen the film that they had written two years ago, and it's embarrassing. And uh, it's it, it was embarrassing, embarrassing how closely they – It's embarrassing how closely they cleave to it. It, it feels um, – it, it's just ludicrous. It's childlike. It's uh, childish, not childlike. It's uh, it, It's really just terrible storytelling. And from the word go, I mean, like, this movie opens with this... Uh, I was laughing right away with Mila Kunis's voiceover saying, you could say I'm an alien. And then it's this horribly <laughs> uh, cumbersome backstory, these ugly little aliens running around. I mean, there was just... Every part of this movie was so garish to me. I take so little pleasure in uh, the things that Matt got out of this movie. It really... The pinball thing, his analogy is spot on, but it the pinball never had any residue on it it was just it was just one thing to the next <laughs> residue uh, that sounds yucky why would i want that <laughs> none of the story ever the things were completely unrelated there's there's all there's so much imagination but no wit there's no soul there's no character the movie is eternal it feels as long as eddie redmayne's character is old and don't even get me started on eddie redmayne's character oh we're gonna who i love eddie redmayne and, yeah we're gonna get there. um and mila kunis is awful the dialogue between her and channing tatum who has never been worse is excruciating he's never uh, been worse really come on he's, i like him a lot you and, never uh, saw fighting did you <laughs> yeah exactly that movie is awful. what was the one where he played I, a cop same director. I will concede. He's Isn't never been cop? worse in a movie that I've voluntarily seen. Um, <laughs> and I've seen most of them. Uh, his performance in She's the Man towers over his work here. <laughs> I mean, they, they include the bit for some reason. I guess they were, didn't have much to choose from in the commercial where – he says that he's part dog, and Mila Kunis goes, I always like dogs. <laughs> That's a great line. That's that hilarious. Was a, that was funny. Like, oh that my was God. a good That's chemistry. laugh that this movie but got. The, the, all of this, this imagination is really wasted. Um, and, and what really bothered me is that it's as visually co- incoherent as uh, it is as the plot of the film is. The characters. Can you the give an example? Like what? What? What like feels the, like the a mess? The big chase scene uh, in Chicago, where oh. they are leaving Earth, and he's. You know, flying around with little rocket boots, carrying me lacunas. It looks like it, it's it, there's just no sense of spatial relation. It's garbage. It reminded me that you know, Speed Racer has the affect of its of its special effects, which are uh, unique. They're they're functioning in a style that this movie is deprived of by its nature, and and it works in that setting. And Cloud Atlas just doesn't really have 
any action. It's not for all of its scale and for all of its what uh, centrifugal force. It's not really an action no, movie. That's stuff with wow. There's so right. many great fight scenes with Channing Tatum in like gray aliens or oh my pe- God. cat Every, people or lizards it's just with wings. Noise. It's no, I, no way. I stand up for, but the, the chase scene, like the chase scenes, that one in Chicago is a little muddled. The one near the end where they're breaking through some kind of undefined barrier. Which Who is knows? Really someone asked like me afterwards. Someone asked me afterwards, like, do they even go to Jupiter? And I was like, I think. Think so? Are you like, joking me? Are you guys dazed yeah. or something? No, I feel like <laughs> that's I so clear. Of, no, I, 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 but like, who was on Jupiter? Eddie Redmayne? Yes. But like, that was really <laughs> unclear. No, it wasn't. It's very unclear. What are you talking? They how how many wide shots of Jupiter's red spot do you need to like make the connection in your mind that within this red cloud is that's the red spot? One more planets. And oh my god! I had no idea. You like, guys were not watching the, this movie. Did all the siblings have their own? Sp- they're on planets, yes! and that's where they were all living. I never yes. had like a sense of where they are all related to each other. And because it, you're obviously because not playing enough Mass Effect. The Katie. entire uh, I'm yeah, not, I, I don't not. enjoy Mass Effect. I tried to play the first one. That may so be a problem after here. After riding the elevator for 15 minutes, I just gave up. But <laughs> the uh, I'm the, caught in a dialogue tree. Help! <laughs> exactly. That's kind of this movie in a this nutshell movie too. It was like a yes. fucking forest of yes. dialogue trees. They were taking every <laughs> branch, and it was driving me insane. But the they used the mother who is essentially the binding force, you know, the cohesion for understanding how all these characters relate to each other and use her as a cheap sex object to show how immortality works and really just be like, oh, she's hot now. And then she leaves the picture. No, she's the and- sister. Oh, yes. See, oh, well, she's the sister. This, all of this she's speaks to my point. This is so clear to me. I don't know what, I don't know what I've been weaned on to be able to digest all this, but... Clearly, it's something different than you guys. Uh, this made perfect sense to me. And I think it's very straightforward, too. They go from one level to the next, basically. It is a video game. Yeah, uh, but like, just, that's not um, satisfying as a narrative. No. It's not like just like go. I mean, and even the way that it goes from one sibling to the next, and it's like, here's the really, like, the hot young guy, and here's the young one, and here's the red man. Like, but it's not clear how they all relate to each other. Like, you see them all in one scene together, and from there on, like, like having their motivations an- are really muddy. Mm, haven't you read enough Narnia books that this makes sense? Like, girl goes through the wardrobe no, and she meets sense. this person okay, right. and meets this person and meets this person no, and then they become a queen. <laughs> but like, okay, so I was thinking about John Carter and I tweeted about sure. this. Like, the fact that John Carter, this guy gets to travel to a planet and he has all these powers because he's able to like do things. Girl travels to all these new planets and she's able to do absolutely nothing and it drove me Yeah, but it makes crazy. more sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why shouldn't she have any special abilities? She does. She has her her governing skills, her bargaining skills. No, she has none. She stands there and she may or may not sign a contract. And she's basically on the verge of signing the contract until Channing Tatum blasts through the door Mm. over and over again. I guess, but it, it is like the kids in Narnia. Like, no matter if you're male or female, Aslan still comes to save you. Yeah, and that's kind of boring, which is why the Narnia mm. books like don't have that much appeal to adults. Yes. Uh, well, I, you know, speaking to the action scenes, I mean, I thought big and small, this movie was really working for me. Small being Channing Tatum, like zipping around. There's a farm scene where these three bounty hunters are coming to get Mila Kunis. Uh, just another scene where people are coming. To get One Mila of Kunis. whom is a dead ringer for Lana Wachowski. Wuk- 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 can I just say of, uh, of oh yeah Cloud of, of Cloud Alice? Can I just mm-hmm. say that Lana Wachowski has the nicest hair? I think yeah. it is a beautiful set of hair. Congratulations. She's got good. She's got good pink hair. I don't know if it pink, stinks right? because it's dreadlocks or if honey allows you to uh, avoid the stinkiness of dreadlocks. Because but I think uh, it's beautiful. because Lana Wachowski is royalty and bees are. Oh yeah, maybe yeah, maybe bees put her hair together. Um, but all that stuff, I just like. 
it feels grand. You mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy earlier, comparing the kind of finale on Jupiter to Guardians of the Galaxy. Man, they couldn't be farther apart. And I hate I to keep kicking. It was clear to you that that was Jupiter. I it's so obvious. That. It's red. God damn it. Um, but Guardians of the Galaxy, I, I hate to keep kicking sand in its eyes. But like, I had such a better time with Jupiter Ascending than Guardians because both neither of these movies have real characters. Guardians of the Galaxy has punchlines, and this movie has true spectacle, true I've vision. I've agreed with every word of this sentence. I'm troubled. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I agree with There's you. There's so much I going on in this movie. Well. Like even uh, the effects, you know, how refreshing it is to see a vista, a, a CG vista that seems to have dimension and seems yeah. to be like working on every plane from its I will furthest say, reaches I, to its I closest admire, close up. I admire this film a lot more than I do the rote, familiar, completely risk-free Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm bringing but David I on the could, I could never say that I enjoyed this more than I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy. Fair. Yeah, fair. I no, that's where I was thinking. I thought about Guardians of the Galaxy a lot. I think it's hard not to just because of the release date similarities. But the way the Guardians of the Galaxy has no real characters and it has no uh, earnestness. And Jupiter Ascending had all this earnestness to it. That's and like, like this real sense of like trying to be about something. And Guardians of the Galaxy is nothing but wisecracking and kind of being like, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, like, We'll bring an emotion when we feel like it, but this is all a bunch of jokes, right? Like, I like that Jupiter Ascending went for it in that way, because Wachowskis wear their hearts on their sleeve, and I appreciate right. that. But that's why I also can get a laugh out of, I don't know, that one of the co-pilots, there, there's are, there are many uh, nods to Star Trek in this movie, oh, yeah, uh, including, the, the, like, shaking cams standing. on the bridge. Yeah. Well, and all those people standing on the, the, the... Who was the woman who played the captain I of that I don't know, ship? but I she was great. Her. She was great. I kind of wanted the whole movie to be about Also, her. Gugu is in this movie, and yeah. she has giant ears for some reason. Like, all yeah. of these little things, Gugu with giant ears, oh or everyone God. on the Gugu, bridge. She's so wasted. Gugu Mabathara, just to be clear. Yeah, and, and one of the people on the bridge, the pilot of the ship that uh, uh, Channing the Tatum laid... Man. Yes, the elephant man. That's great. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all just shit that's thrown in there. I mean, it's like it does have a Saturday morning cartoon vibe in that sense, but I had never watched a Saturday morning cartoon that was this incoherent. I, uh, I'm, I I'm really, starting to doubt if you ever watched Saturday morning Wachowski cartoons. Brothers, or I think maybe I just forgotten the, the Wachowski. Oh, not brothers, I should say, but the Wachowskis. Uh, old habits. I'm referring to when they made good movies a long time ago. Although I really like Cloud Atlas. Now I'm just talking nonsense. Are you, but are you drawing a line I, here? I, I, I'm offended. I had forgotten that the Wachowskis were capable of making something this soulless and and asinine. Uh, and I, I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that they were working off an original idea. Uh, Speed Racer, they obviously made their own, but there was a firm, you know, absurd, but firm aesthetic universe that they were cribbing from. And, uh, Despite the narrative trickery that I think they very cleverly applied to Cloud Atlas, that was very much uh, – they were very much handcuffed by David Mitchell's story. And here, completely left their own devices. It is an unrepentant disaster. Mm. Oh, I, I would never go that far. And part of it is Eddie Redmayne's wonderful performance as oh, yeah. uh, Balaam Abrasix. <laughs> the name, the name is a great sci-fi name. Yeah, it's very Dune-like. I'm wondering if there's some connection there. But um, the, I just loved Eddie Redmayne in this movie so much. Who looks, he's either on the verge of crying or screaming at the top of his lungs like a madman. And 100% of the time sweating profusely i mean his costume <laughs> is either skin tight or the or the set He's, was sweltering you know i liked it better when his name was zorg and he was played by gary oldman in the fifth element 
Uh, um, and from Power uh, similarly, you can see that performance from space or Jupiter as well. Uh, it's so large, but they, I, there's nothing. I mean, this performance is all affect. Of course, it's very campy and amusingly so, but there's no reason behind the affect. And the affect, it, it, it's just this like pixie song, like quiet, loud, quiet idea of and there's nothing more to it and it's kind of just unimpressive and I think there was uh, something nice about the idea of being a villain and making people lean in to listen to you like you have all the power mm, by talking really yeah. quietly and like and I I mean I kind of said snarkily that it's like Steve Carell's voice in Foxcatcher but like there's something to that about it being someone who's like trying to take all the power by everybody by whispering and kind of seeming very secretive I like that part of it, even though all the parts we started yelling, Wait, I was like, did right. you say did you say nice things about <laughs> Eddie Raymain when we reviewed Les Miserables? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I all like right. Eddie Raymain. Well, I, you, you're, I think that you have to be hereby. I did, too. I'm yeah. standing with Katie. Jesus Christ. Yeah, uh, Redmayne. You people. I hope you guys are happy when watch, he wins Best Actor. I was about to say, watch him win an Oscar, and then we'll see who's on the right, right side of history. <laughs> he should win an Oscar mm. for this movie. So no. good. Yeah, the Oscars are true. the true barometer. I created life. And uh, I take it away. Yeah, no, David's getting it more right. Um, David, would you say that people should see Jupiter Ascending? I mean, it, what do you mean by people? <laughs> um, the, the, part cat, part human, the, splices. The part, the part patches, splices of the world. Uh, if you really get off on Mass Effect and enjoy the the silly sci-fi silliness for its own sake, then... Then sure, uh, you know, with your expectations in check, I think the movie sort of does what it says on the tin, if not also a lot less. Uh, but if you're somebody who really admires what the Wachowskis are capable of and have done and are hoping for something with the same creative uh, muscle behind it and intellectual rigor, uh, and intellectual rigor of their filmmaking, not necessarily just of their, the storytelling, but just of the filmmaking itself, you are going to be sorely disappointed. Um, but this is going to be a, a rare catastrophe uh, and remembered for that. And I think it's worth if, – if you are the kind of person that would listen to this podcast, it might be worth being in on that conversation. So it could be, it could be uh, something to see just for that alone. Um. Uh, Patches, I assume you think everyone should see Jupiter Ascending. Oh, I definitely do. I mean, it is a vapid experience. I think I uh, also in my review that I, I really should finish at some point. I, I said that, I mean, I can't recommend this movie to everyone because I think if you are geek toast intolerant, uh, then you will geek toast intolerant. Yeah, that's right. You will not be able to digest Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> uh, it's just really, it is nerd ass shit to the core. Uh, and it, and and it is unabashed. It, it really just throws everything in the wall, What's just like David's saying. What's the of nerd ass shit? Where does this come from, and how can we make it go away? I think Jordan and I spent Jordan Hoffman and I spent too much time in a room uh, yelling about got, Green Lantern you, comic books. In fact, you got poisoned by Jordan Hoffman at a young age. <sighs> yeah, exactly. Although Jordan Hoffman didn't like this movie, so you have no excuse. That's true. Yeah, he was that, pushed that over the is edge. actually mind blowing. Jordan when I heard that Jordan Hoffman hated this movie, and I mean he really hated it. I thought that that was it. I was like, not maybe not even Patches uh, has the temerity to go that far. I, I was glad Patches, that I was not was alone, wrong. though, at our at our screening. I, as Katie mentioned, yeah, there were many other really people who for. enjoyed this movie with me. Um, we were just cackling. We had a really good 
time. I, I do think it is vapid. I do think that there's not, as David mentioned, uh, the intellectual side of the Wachowskis over it is not present here. Um, but as far as the creativity, as far as the vision, as far as executing this in a pristine way, I think even when you have these uh, towering lizard men with wings, it still looks gr amazing and like engages me. I'm surprised that Eddie Redmayne can hold court with these absurd characters and With I'm still into men? it. Yeah. Uh, or like he, he his his number two is this Who from Whoville. Uh, and oh, yeah. It's just so silly. You never know what's coming next to this movie and it does make the universe seem large. You know, maybe one of my problems with Star Wars, especially the prequels, is that you feel suffocated in the universe. It's the same species over and over again. And what this movie gets really right is Mila Kunis feeling like humans are the only thing in the world and Channing Tatum with Wolf Ear shows up like, no, the whole the world is so much bigger than you, and I'm about to show you everything in this huge adventure. And it happens in an hour and a half, and it whisks you no, away. No, it and happens it, in a solid two hours that feels longer. Really? Not to me. I mean, I, this movie speeds by because there's just so much to consume. Your eyes are not ready for it. Your ears are not ready for it. And I even like Michael Giacchino's score, which David hates. Uh, this is the best thing he's done since John Carter, which Whoa! it's it's a really good excuse to have blaring trumpets. You know, you need a movie like that every once in a while. And he we can do have, that well. We should have had Chris Rosen on this podcast to talk about uh, scores and <laughs> Apparently, you guys are the true party. Yes, he lost his mind as well. So I do, I do I'm, think I'm on this people movie. who see Jupiter ascending in five years are just like, "What? This movie's great." Like, I, I I just I don't see it as inspiring any claims of greatness. I see people watching it uh, on cable or in their dorm rooms or whatever, and being like, "This movie is that would be too insane. bad because <laughs> and, I think the big uh, screen aspect of it is why you would see this movie at all. So. The fact that it was made at all for the budget that it was. Pretty <laughs> it looks really expensive. But that's not something that we should – and we talked about this in our main episode no, this week. Not, that's not, not necessarily a, something we should celebrate. It's, yeah, uh, I, agree I think with that. It, 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 really, it was made, so I'm going to celebrate it because it looks gorgeous. No. Okay. Uh, well, in, the, uh, in lieu of having actual big blockbusters that everyone will see, maybe go see Jupiter Ascending in the meantime and uh, – and tell us what you think because it's uh, I don't know I think it's worth a conversation even if you don't like it at all which is uh, I like it to some degree but I basically don't think it's a good movie so, I think uh, we can all agree though that Channing Tatum really needed a six pack in this movie and he only delivered like a four pack listen having Channing, Channing Tatum shirtless for an entire action scene <laughs> is one of my favorite things for a whole movie. movie practically he's just always yeah. out of his you shirt you know what I was, I was thinking that like Marvel, you know how Marvel has like its one gratuitous shirtless hero shot and then it just gets on with business. I think they really need to learn by Channing Tatum's example that you get your dude shirtless for an entire scene and just run with it. Got to. What's the point of doing all that work if everyone else isn't going to see it? Magic Mike XXL. <laughs> that was the end. Magic Mike X. Magic that Mike Third. As we call bad. it in my house. That trailer. That trailer looks bad. Are you serious? That yeah. trailer is amazing. It's not as good as the trailers for the first. No, the first trailer. 
the trailer for the first uh, movie was I incredible. thought that was the best trailer I've seen in a long time. I thought it was really clever. I did like that he just starts, da- he's dancing for no reason. It's but so it's, clever. It's really just I thought a it step totally captures the tone of the movie. It's obvious How do you that... know if it captures the tone of the no, movie? No, the trailer cap. I said the trailer captured the tone of the first movie is what oh, I mean. Oh, I see. Um... I enjoyed the first um, movie. I thought I thought that was the best trailer I've seen in a very long time. I still I thought hold it was great. really hard to the uh, "We Found Love" one. Uh, oh, it's, for, that trailer is incredible. That is a great. It's a work trailer. of art. Party on the sandbar. <laughs> Party on the sandbar. <laughs> All right. Before we get to the lightning round question, none of us saw Seventh Son, so please write in and tell us about it because uh, I want. I have to wonder who's who gives the more Norbert E performance, Julianne Moore or Eddie Redmayne, <laughs> in their uh, quest for Oscars. I would have seen Seventh Son if it came out in, on time, like a year and a half ago. Yeah, I, the expiration date had hit for you. Exactly. You exactly. Had other things to do. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we haven't seen Seventh Son, but we have gotten your answers to this exciting round question, which was uh, in honor of any of the movies basically coming out this weekend: Jupiter Sending, Seventh Other Son, than SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, SpongeBob will probably make some money. Uh, hopefully, that that seems like a people like it. <laughs> I'm always surprised. Um, which what is your favorite? bomb what is your favorite bomb we didn't really de- define bomb in terms of like box office or critical acclaim or whatnot it all seems to wrap together in this question for people so favorite bomb david oh boy uh well we we've had several people say a movie that i didn't realize is a bomb uh which is the long goodbye yeah i was looking at that as well I don't and, know. I don't know my '70s box office stats. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, I you know, I was born when I was born in 1984. That movie, I think, uh, as far as I could tell, was already sort of certified as a as a classic. The moment so you were born. The moment your, your I was born. Told you. They <laughs> said, long they, goodbye, David. They said, David, this is the best. Um, <laughs> yes. So you know, I'll give a shout out to. Uh, Gum Sandal Detective, uh, one of those names that's always changing, but the constant part of that is at Juvie underscore Cinephile. Says the long goodbye. And Ishtar. They also say and Ishtar. But Ishtar has had such a renaissance as of late that, uh, of course, a famous box office bomb, but it's critical reputation. It's Everyone has such a hard on these days. Yeah, what Elaine is happening? May is back in vogue. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not horrible, but is it, is no, it worth no. the Keeping on praise at this moment. We'll, why? We'll get why our the comeback? Elaine May Criterion <laughs> box set down the line, and uh, and we'll see. I I will continue to watch Elaine May sing Company in that uh, that Sondheim documentary rather than watch Ishtar ever again. Sorry, guys. Wait, Elaine May singing Company? Yeah, Pennebaker, the D. A. Pennebaker documentary. Doesn't ah, Elaine May sing you... Ladies Who Lunch? No, you're thinking of Elaine Stritch. No, no. no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's too late in the day. Get your icons Total right, Total failure. Patches. All right. Eat me, Eddie Redmayne. Be young forever. <laughs> I don't deserve to live on planet Earth. <laughs> uh, what, what's your pick? Eat me, Eddie Redmayne. Um, <laughs> many people said the Gruber, and that's what I want to go with. But what I'm actually going to go with is um, our, our friend, screenwriter Jeff LaTulip, who said a tie between Shawshank Redemption and Going the Distance, a film that he wrote... That is which a, also I looked sad. up made about forty million worldwide. Which that's is not you know, too bad for the for like a I have to fess yeah. up that uh, I think I contributed to going the distance as poor box office performance because on one of our first dates, my girlfriend and I snuck into it. Wow! After, after and how seeing, many times have you watched it on cable since then? 
so many times. <laughs> so, so many times. Is so Elaine May in that? Uh, you're hoping I'd have a, have a legacy. Oh, yeah, Elaine yeah. Stritch is in that. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm all confused. Oh, no. Oh. Anyway. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go with MacGruber. Why not? That movie made an astonishingly small amount of money. Like, no, it only cost an astonishingly low amount I know. Of money. Well, yeah. So, like, I mean, the definition of bomb is tricky, but, like, for what that movie is and what that movie should have done, it made it was like really poorly served by the box office, and I think it's uh, its legacy as a cult classic is deserved. I really don't think they should ever make a sequel. Why? I don't know. It just it doesn't like Anchorman two turned out badly, and it just no, it didn't. Like a good idea. I didn't like it at Anchorman all. Anchorman two is a lot of fun. I have what? I all don't right. know about the Netflix cut though because well, that's the, the that's the new Anchorman version. two is that Anchorman one wasn't that good in the first place. <laughs> oh. Whereas. Step Brothers 2 would probably, oh, even if it were I half would, as good as Step Brothers, watch, still be the greatest film ever. Catalina Wine Mixer. Two. I would watch I would watch Step Brothers 2 in a loop for 24 hours. You know hours, who loves I dare you to challenge me to do Step Brothers um, Elaine May. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was Steven Sondheim, actually. No, no. <laughs> I got it wrong. Um, that does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week talking about, I guess, something that doesn't involve Eddie Redmayne screaming in space. But you never know. I don't know what's coming out next week. <laughs> All yeah. movies now include that. It is the it is the post credit. Oh, next stinger. week is Fifty Shades of Grey. I hope that Eddie Redmayne's screaming in that movie. If Eddie Redmayne's in that movie, I'm suddenly much more interested. He's strapped uh, in. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches. I'm the senior writer at Esquire.com, and I am on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm David Ehrlich. I am the associate film editor of Time Out New York and the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and Time Out U.S. Film and Criterion Corner and Fighting in the War Room and someone cut me off. I will. I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com, which, as you listen to this, should have a shiny new look. So go check it out. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Here's to the girls who play wife. Aren't they too much? Keeping house but clutching a copy of life just to keep in touch. The ones who follow the rules And meet themselves at the schools Too busy to know that they're